Welcome to the AWPT Podcast, a safe space for personal trainers and coaches who want to learn, grow, and feel heard in the fitness industry. Each week, we'll bring you industry-relevant discussions on all things coaching, mindset, and professional development, empowering you with the tools to be a competent and confident coach. Alrighty team, hello everybody and welcome back to another episode of the AWPT podcast. Today I am joined by the amazing Joe Reynolds who has been a part of our AWPT community for a long time and it's so nice to finally have you on the show. Today I wanted to talk about how we as coaches, as personal trainers, as human beings um, can better navigate conversations around disordered eating and emotional eating and all of that sort of treacherous terrain, I suppose, that we want to make sure that we're handling really well with our clients. But most people aren't necessarily taught how, because unless you've got a counseling degree or, you know, whatnot, it's so hard to like know what to do in those kind of conversations. But before we dive into that fun, heavy topic. <laughs> Joe, did you want to tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, what you love, all of that good stuff? Yeah, for sure. Um, so first of all, thank you so much for having me on board. I'm incredibly excited to have this conversation today. Um, but yeah, my name is Joe. Um, I grew up in Ireland and came out to Australia probably about 14 years ago, but I have always worked in the fitness industry. I've never not worked in the industry. And I guess like many coaches, I started out as a personal trainer. Um, but then I sort of moved into the direction of the more business side of things when it came to the fitness industry. So I did work for Fitness First for a bit of a long stint, but more in certain management roles. And I really missed the personal training side of things um, and decided to get back into um, PTing about seven years ago now. So currently I work at Queen of Lane. So we are a boutique personal training studio. Our demographic, we are specific to female. Um, and we predominantly work in um, strength training. Obviously, we help women achieve their goals. We often have women come and just looking for better health, better overall health, um, improved nutrition, stronger bodies. Um, and I guess even more specifically, working with women that are coming a little bit closer into perimenopause and menopause mm -hmm. um, as well. And often I find with a lot of these clients, they may have like decades of disordered eating patterns because often they come from yeah. that era where it's, you know, first of all, it was low fat, right? So yeah. bad. And now we've sort of moved into the terrain that unfortunately is still hanging around us, that carbohydrates are bad. Um, yeah. Fear around food. And I think they also sort of grew up in, um, I guess, sort of that era as well, where it was okay to talk about other people's bodies. Like it wasn't sort of seen yeah. as not being okay or none of people's business, yeah. I guess. Um, yeah, so that tends to be the demographic that I work with now. Um, yeah. And of course, here I am. And I've moved, yeah, I've moved a little bit more into the food freedom side of things as well. Um, and mm. that's come from having my own disordered eating patterns, um, as well as coming across a lot of clients who struggle in that area as well. That's so interesting. And I love that you brought up the, you know, the relationship or just like an interesting anecdotal, I guess, correlation between age demographics and how that has sort of sparked more conversations around potentially disordered behaviors that, you know, people of that generation didn't necessarily realize were disordered. And you're so right. Like this is something I talk about with some of my clients who are around a similar age or even like my parents and stuff like that is very much, as you said, they grew up in an era of, as you said, fat free was all the rage and then low carb and then yeah. intermittent fasting and all of this nonsense. And I also think in terms of different glorification of body types throughout, you know, the years and decades and stuff like that, that also plays a role into it because I know like women that are coming into um, peri and postmenopause now growing up in like 70s, 80s, you know, 90s, depending on if it's like super early perimenopause, um, where the, I guess, glorified body type was that like heroin chic or like supermodel thin, which, you know, in order to get there is 
sadly a really uh intense amount of restriction that probably has to take place to get like that thin whereas now not that it's necessarily any better to be glorying in a body type at all but the body type now is more that sort of like athletic curvy etc etc where you do need like a certain amount of muscle or fat in particular places to to get the bum or boobs or whatever um Mm. but yeah very much that demographic grew up in an era where you did have to be super thin and even like you know, 80s and 90s, I think a lot of the celebrities also fell into that trap and it was glorified in terms of their eating disorders and and stuff like that, which is so sad. And that definitely carries through into now. I know the unlearning that I have to do with clients around that age is way bigger than um, the, the work that I do with clients who are in their 20s or even like early 30s and stuff like that. But still so much misinformation, you know, pervades regardless of age. Yeah, for sure. And I feel like like a lot of it is comparison, right? And social media plays a really big role. And, you know, I grew up in the 90s where it was like supermodel thin. And I remember having some body image issues before the age of 10, because I was one of those kids who are really tall. Uh, I Mm. do sit on the leaner side. So I was naturally really thin and really skinny. But I remember people commenting on my body saying you need to eat more. Um, And I had a very healthy child. Um, And then moving into the 90s where, you know, as it was that waif look and that was and that was something that I was naturally. And then I used to get comments as a teenager saying, oh, my God, you should be a supermodel. You should be this. You should be that. And that in itself, different kind of pressure on, you know, saying, oh, yeah, for sure. Um, Yeah. And then moving now into the more curvier um. Yeah, I guess it like I don't I don't I want to say body trend quote unquote because that's what yeah, we yeah. believe is that bodies are trends, right? Um, and if we don't, yeah, fit exactly, goals, we don't fit in or we're not yeah. worthy. Um, and it's really interesting because body image really underpins a lot of rigid mm. and restrictive diets, and both of those do typically go hand in hand with each other um yeah definitely yeah body image plays a huge role for sure definitely and I think that's such a good point that you know different body image concerns can be not triggered but like I suppose derived or like the foundation of these body image issues that people have later in life often come come from one of two camps either people have been putting down someone's body for so much of their life or on the other end of the spectrum people have been praised for their body for so long that then that becomes their whole identity and so when their body starts to change because of age because of hormones because of pregnancy if like all of that kind of stuff if you hold so much of your worth in your body then that's also going to lead to disordered you know eating behaviors and exercise behaviors later on as just as a form of control because if that's all your worth then if the body starts to change then what do you do yeah exactly and I'm sure you've had these conversations with your clients where mm. you know using the 10 kilos is not going to create the happiness for you yes it might bring temporary yeah and to a point you might feel really good but sooner or later the issues with self-worth doesn't come from well they may come yeah. from there, but um yeah it might be still really hard for you to find your worth and have your increased self-esteem in the longer term and that's why doing the internal work is incredibly important for sure definitely and I think a lot of it is I don't know if generational trauma is the right word, probably not, but I think a lot of these body issue concerns or behaviours and stuff is definitely passed down from parents or can be in the sense that like if a parent has really disordered eating behaviours or poor body image issues or whatnot and then puts those kind of habits and patterns and thoughts onto their children, which like I've seen happen so much, like it's happened with, because kids don't come up with diets on their own. They see their parents doing it and think, oh, okay, like that's what I should be doing. Or like I even had a client once say to me that she wanted her 
13-year-old daughter to start getting into the gym, not because she wanted like her daughter to get strong or have an extra co-curricular or she didn't like sport, whatever. It was because, in quotes, because she um, is going to go through puberty soon. So she needs to learn how to control like her body and her body weight. And I was like, oh, I swear to God, if you've said that to your daughter, like, let's not. Yeah. And that's the thing, because a lot of our beliefs and a lot of our conditioning do come from childhood because, you you know, having a conversation with a child younger than the age of eight can get pretty wild pretty quickly because they're just so illogical. So everything they see, everything that they experience, they take on as truth Mm. um, because they don't know how to discern from what's true for them or what it is that they want to believe. And then we grow up with these beliefs that things have to be a certain way um, Mm. and we need to act out those beliefs um, in our behaviours and often um, disordered eating patterns can often be the result. Yeah, definitely. So I want to, I suppose, dive into this conversation a little bit more, but from a coaching perspective, because as you said, you work a lot with um, women with those kind of disordered eating patterns. I suppose I was inspired to do an episode like this because I had a client come to me a couple of weeks ago, basically saying that, you know, like I knew she'd had a history of disordered eating and disordered sort of exercising behaviors in the past. She said that she'd sort of more or less recovered from that. We had a really great coaching relationship. And then um, she came to me and she was like, I have started binging again and that had like not come up with us before. And she had, I suppose, lost a considerable amount of weight recently. And I think that then triggered a lot of these behaviors coming up again um, because people were like complimenting her on her weight loss so much. And I think that often happens as a trigger. Um, But we were having this conversation. I was like, wow, I, don't necessarily know like how to have this conversation in a in a way that like I feel so sort of honored that like she felt comfortable enough to come and talk to me about this and so I want to handle this situation really well and like create a really safe space for her but Mm -hmm. it's not like you're taught that in a cert three or four course and I don't have a counseling background and all of that kind of stuff so I can only imagine that so many other coaches you know, experience the same thing because obviously we're working with food and exercise and body types and we get really personal with our clients. Um, Mm. And so, yeah, I wanted to open up a discussion and do a podcast interview on how we as coaches can have those conversations and handle them with care. So that's why I wanted to have you on because I know you do a lot of work in that space. (laughs) Yeah, for sure, for sure. I think like firstly, like well done because a client who confides in us to say that they have started binging again or they've just started binging or they have been heavily restricting their food or Mm. they use food as a coping strategy. Like I can tell you firsthand from my own experience and working with clients, that takes a lot of guts to Mm. actually admit that that's going on. So, you know, you've obviously created, and you mentioned the word safe and safety plays a huge role um, in this type of work. And I think the starting point for coaches is to be able to create that space so that that conversation can happen. Um, And by creating Mm. a safe space, like a lot of it does come to our own um, nervous system um, Mm. and able to, I guess, sort of hold space for that client because that's going to be really, really important. Um, I found specifically for myself um, really sort of upskilling myself on I guess why binging happens what are the main Mm. triggers because I guess we we need to be armed with a lot of knowledge right because knowledge is power and I find that asking really open questions uh, actually going back to the safety aspect of things it's really important that you know we need to come from a non a non-judgmental space 
as well. Mm. Um, that's really important because it can be really easy to sort of slip into, you know, because we feel uncomfortable with the conversation, there can sometimes be a little bit of judgment there as well. So it's really important that we come from a safe and non-judgmental space so that the client feels safe to be able to open up. Um, but yeah, going back to really arming ourselves with um, the knowledge um, that we need to be able to help our clients. And then from there, we can then come um, like sort of have these open ended questions, um, you know, so tell me more about this. Have you figured out what the trigger for this was? Um, you know, mm. what are you really looking for from the food um, and all of that sort of stuff? Because the food is not the root cause, right? The food yeah. is symptom of what's really going on um so the more that we can get our client to create I guess an atmosphere of curiosity for themselves um and the more awareness and the more mindfulness that they have um it'll make that it will help them to be able to navigate it a little bit easier as well yeah I love that and I love this idea of sort of being curious both from the coaching perspective and also encouraging that curiosity within the client themselves to sort of unpack, you know, as you said, those sort of root causes, but also, you know, having discussions around healthy habits and also not even necessarily triggers, but some of the other symptoms and like how they can recognize it within themselves if certain patterns might be coming back and also from the coaching perspective, how you can recognize those behaviors in them as well. So I suppose what are some, um, I mean, obviously you said have that conversation with the client, but I suppose more in general, what perhaps are some signs and symptoms that we as coaches might notice in our clients if they are starting to fall into the trap of those disordered behaviors? Yeah, um, I think similar to what you've experienced. So we might see rapid rate weight loss if there's mm. a real heavy restriction on calories. Um, yes. The other thing is actual weight fluctuations if emotional eating is present because they might go through a period of restriction and then a period mm. of eating. Um, so what we might see if we're tracking our client's weight and what we might see is this sort of behavior as well. Um the other thing is, um, sorry, I've just lost my train of thought. Oh, good. <laughs> I was going to say even one thing I noticed with my client that I'm sort of using as the example was I noticed her checking her weight a lot. And as I said, in the past, we'd had a discussion about her, you know, previous habits. And so as a result, I didn't get her tracking her weight very often, um, even though I knew she was on like she wanted to lose weight, but I just was very aware that I don't want her to get obsessed with numbers. But then she yeah. did have this sort of rapid weight loss that I think happened. I mean, it could have happened because she was restricting and not telling me um, or it could have just happened because I don't know, lifestyle, busy, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and her training got more intense. But then as a result, she lost all of this weight and she got very obsessed with weighing herself and we don't track it but I would see her at the gym after every session going onto the scale and I remember saying to her get off <laughs> it's not going to have changed you know between yesterday and today like it, it doesn't matter if it has etc cetera, etc cetera. and then maybe like two weeks later she came to be crying saying that she was doing this binge restrict sort of cycle and yeah. so yeah I suppose in hindsight again the the obsessive weighing is probably also a, a sign that something underlying is going on. Yeah, for sure. And the other thing that I was actually going to say is often their conversations will change with you. So they'll start talking yeah. about body about wanting to be smaller. Uh, mm. What can I do to, you know, make my legs a little bit thinner or what can I yeah. do? Um, and it's really like the biggest thing is like the shifting conversation that you'll notice because I find that though sometimes clients will come in and they're almost scared to say that they want to lose weight because the industry has sort of like it does a lot of shifting and I think often yeah. a part of the industry that's like oh it's bad if you want to change you you just need to accept yourself how you are and you should yeah. focus on health so I find a lot of people are actually scared to say that they actually want to lose weight so often they come in and say I want to get strong and I want to do this um yeah 
feel better, but often then the conversation can shift and they start sort of pulling at themselves, like grabbing their thighs. Mm. How can I make this smaller? Should I be doing cardio? Yeah. And it's really noticing the shifts and the changes there as well. Um, And I find their language around food um, is going to be a key indication as well. Um, So, you know, when we talk about good and bad foods, and that sort of stuff. Mm. Or I've often had a client that has come in and said, oh, I ate it and I ate too much and that's really bad and that's really terrible. Yeah, Putting themselves down, right? So there's obviously limiting beliefs there around their food behaviours. So they're saying that that's bad. And what we do know about emotional eating is it's often triggered. It sort of keeps you in that cycle mm. because of the guilt and the shame and the judgment that you feel post. And then those feelings can lead to another emotional eating episode as well. Um, yeah. Really listening out for language of your clients, um, the conversations that they're having within their session, like wanting to be smaller, um and like increasing cardio like obviously cardio is great and we yeah. should all be doing it yeah. for health right it's not bad yeah. um but it's what's their language around it and what's yeah. the reason why they want to do it yeah the cardio it. one is definitely something that I see a lot of whether it was with that specific client yeah. or whether it's you know people starting out initially and again they've like been raised in this environment that is very sort of like diet culture heavy and they come into it being like, okay, like how much cardio do I need to be doing to lose weight, et cetera, et cetera. And like, you, you obviously then have to do an education piece there. But yeah. um, I think another thing to, I suppose, watch out for, obviously there are the shifts in conversations around, um, around food and wanting to like target fat loss in certain areas and like change and manipulate the body. But I think even just like, has have your conversations in your PT sessions like big whether it's PT you know one-on-one in the gym or if it's if you do online coaching and stuff like that how is their mental health just in general are they super stressed with work because I, I mean I'm sure we'll talk about this as well I'm I think a, a lot of emotional eating and disordered you know behaviors around food and, and restriction comes from a, a lack of control and I know you've done posts on like trust as well and all of that kind of stuff so I want to dive into that but you know are they having a really stressful period at work um and do if you know that they have a history of you know disordered eating watching out for those periods you know that aren't necessarily related to exercise but like are they super busy with work and potentially don't have as much time to go to the gym maybe watching out for that because they're probably going to try and control their weight elsewhere and that can be where food comes in or on the other end of the spectrum do they you know comfort themselves with food as well or is you know are they super stressed with work but then they're exercising a shit ton on top of that to try and like compensate or or all of that kind of stuff like have those conversations outside of you know the food and exercise conversations changed to a slightly more negative tone as well Yeah, 100%. And according to all of the research, the three biggest emotions that do drive um, emotional eating is sadness, anger, Mm. and anxiety. So, you know, putting Mm. the category of anxiety um, and then feeling. And I definitely know with the demographic of women that I work with, um, a lot of them are executives. They make a lot of decisions in their work life. You know, they've climbed a corporate ladder. They're running their own businesses. They've got a family. They're really busy women and for me to sit there yeah. and say you just need to be more mindful like it's not gonna yeah work. <laughs> yeah uh, it's not gonna work but yeah the emotional eating piece um so I guess when we sort of have a look at binge eating um it's usually the there are three triggers according to the research so one is restrictive dieting other one is over evaluation mm-hmm. of body weight and shape those two are typically okay together if we place too much mm-hmm. too much emphasis on how we look that may lead to restrictive and rigid, rigid diets so we can fit a mold I guess um and then yeah. the third piece being mood dysregulation which can happen independently from the other two but it can also be exasperated by it as well mm. um yeah. so do have a look at the emotional eating piece it's anger anxiety and sadness that are the three biggest drivers um when it comes to emotional eating 
that makes yeah I mean that makes so much sense in terms of those kind of emotions and how we then as humans try and like deal with those kind of emotions because you know we have we try and manage them somehow and obviously some ways are healthier than others um I suppose too obviously with the coaching industry we're in a space where we are working with food and we are working with exercise and the you know, the dream is that we're encouraging healthy habits. But I think a lot of the time with these kind of, when we are working with clients with these disordered behaviors, whether it's exercise or whether it's food, we do have to change our approach in terms of how much emphasis we're putting on exercise or food in the way that like, something the phrase I use a lot is you know your healthy habits are only as healthy as your relationship with them so you know with our general pop clients of course we're encouraging them to you know exercise like move more um look at their food in a different way that's you know prioritizing health and abundance and stuff like that and you know with some clients we might encourage them to track food if if that works for them but with these other clients who have you know these disordered habits or their mindset is different our approach does have to change so what kind of process do you go through with your clients if they were to come to you and say I've started binging or I've started restricting or I want to go on a diet I like want to lose weight like if we start from that moment through to how you change your coaching philosophy with them how does that look for you yes so the like I mean the first thing is like I do not want them dieting at all yeah yeah they also need to be open to seeing things differently because we you know degree we can well we can only meet our clients where they're at and of course the idea bring them along with you so they need to be open to the idea yes they might have confided in us as coaches but sometimes they still don't want to change we're aware that there's a problem they're still going to continue with their behaviors sorry with the behaviors that they were um, doing so I think it's really important that they need to be open and ready to make that change and as coaches Mm. we need to have conversation that you know if you're open and ready to change I can definitely guide you and support you on that journey Um, I do also want to mention that it is important that if a client does come with a binge eating problem, it is important to refer out like we send them on to a psychologist that's going to be able to help them. But from my experience, not everybody wants to do that either. We might put it out. I think it's really important. And if they decide not to go down that avenue, us as coaches need to be equipped um, again to be able to, to a degree, to be able to help our clients and guide them along on the journey. Um, mm. So, yeah, so usually I'll start with um, I don't want them dieting. I yeah. don't want them weighing themselves. Um, I don't want any of that going on. So, and that's really hard for a client to take that step, especially if they're used to mm-hmm. um, being on these endless diets, but it's approaching it from the space that, you know, we have to do something completely different. The most important element here now is to help improve your relationship to food, because if we keep putting you on diets, if we keep checking your weight, if we keep doing all of those things, we're going to find ourselves back here every single yeah. time. And that impacts mental health. You know, you brought up mental health. That really impacts your mental health because you go on a diet, you um, fail, go on a diet, you fail, go on a diet, you fail. And that just really diminishes your self-worth and your self-esteem. So we need to be able to break that cycle by... I guess like getting our clients to trust us that this is the work Mm. we're going to start with. Um, And then from there, moving into, I find that the biggest thing that women, um, particularly the clients that I work with, find it really hard to do is to have Mm self-compassion. Because binge eating and emotional eating, it's often done in secret. There's a loss of control. There's a lot of shame that goes with it. There's a lot of embarrassment. And until we can find a way to have self-compassion for ourselves, we're always going to feel the guilt and the shame. So it's about breaking that mold as well. So I love like the two C's, I call them curiosity Mm -hmm. and compassion. 
Um, and I encourage the client to get curious and I can help them with that by having that conversation. So knowing that the three biggest drivers of binge eating is the restrictive diets, is overvaluation of body weight and shape and mood dysregulations. I'm going to ask them questions around that. So I probably have an idea in terms of their diet, but it's just like, all right, tell me about your diet. Where do you, they've yeah. come forward with this information. So they are going to be a little bit more open. <clears throat> Mm. Are you restricting what's going on? What sort of foods are you restricting? And just opening up that dialogue. Um, how do you feel about yourself? How would you rate your self-esteem? Um, yeah. Getting an idea on how they feel about their body. And even asking them, you know, where do you think that comes from? So it's just sort of getting them ticking over and sort of thinking about it. Um, and then it's, you know, are you turning to food as a coping strategy? I think, you know, our clients are incredibly smart and they, they know that they're turning to food as that coping strategy. Yeah. And often they know why they're doing it, but they just don't know how to get out of that cycle. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's really sort of narrowing down, you know, is it more specifically the restrictive diets that's causing the issue? Is it the overvaluation of weight and shape? Or is it the mood dysregulation? And then from there, it's tailoring then a strategy or a framework depending on the area that I guess they're having most trouble with um, and then working mm. um, specific to that area. Amazing. So even if we were to go into, I suppose, those three different areas, and obviously they are all interrelated, as you said. So mm -hmm. if they came to you and you had that sort of discussion and the first part, you know, they said, I think I've been, I've had concerns around food restriction and I have been restricting my food, you know, all throughout my life kind yeah. of thing. From there, Obviously, in an ideal world, we as coaches would be like, okay, well, we're going to stop tracking because I don't want you to like know how much you're eating, et cetera, et cetera. But I suppose there's also an element of wanting to make sure that they're eating enough or like if, if they're not tracking, how do you know if they're restricting, if they're not going to tell you, et cetera, et cetera. So if it's the food restriction side of things, what would be your approach from there? Yeah, sure. Um, so when we actually have a look at food restriction, that's when a client will come up with a whole heap of food rules. And as we know, there are many yeah. diets that have a lot of rules in place. Um, yes. So particularly clients that jump from diet to diet, they're used to having rules, they're used to having a structure. And that's where I talk about the self-trust piece, right? We feel that we mm. need the structure around us so that we don't lose control of our food and we need to have all of these rules in place. So the three biggest rules are what rules, when rules, and how much rules. So Mm. The, so the how much rules is how much food so you know yeah. we most likely a lot of us have come across that client where I don't know 1200 calories is a magic number yeah. right <laughs> it's always 1200 <laughs> calories right yeah so we really restrict how much and you know what I do want to say to that as well that not all tracking calories is bad like it's it's not bad at all it's just yeah a tool. yeah it's high the yeah. emotion into things that's when exactly it's, um, it's just simply a tool but when we heavily restrict how much we're eating or we often restrict what we're eating so that's when we mm -hmm. cut out our food groups that's yeah. when we cut out you know we have our forbidden foods even clean eating can be considered yeah. we're eating because we're staying away from processed foods um so usually like there are two things that you can do here there's something that's called the regular eating principle and the mm -hmm. idea of the regular eating principle is to get your client to eat more frequently so we're mm -hmm. taking away all of the rules but we're implementing the boundary where the only thing that I want you to do is eat every three to four hours that's all I want you mm -hmm. to do because often skipping meals right is a restricted yeah and at the end of the day our willpower is never going to be strong enough for our physiology our, we're, mm -hmm. we're just going to get to a point where we're so hungry we're going to binge we're never going to have enough yeah. willpower to overcome that so the regular eating principle is eating every three to four hours initially with a client I don't talk about what they're eating eat what they mm -hmm. would actually eat we know as coaches oh get your protein in and lots of veggies yeah and 
right? We know all of those things, but the first thing that we actually want to do is get our clients eating more regularly. So we want to talk to them about having three meals um, and then two snacks in between that. If they're looking for guidance of food, of course, we can um, give that. And when, and it's really important, right? They need to commit to this, right? They really yeah. commit to doing this if they really want to improve their relationship to food. Um, and then as they're doing that for a couple of weeks and they're sort of building momentum with that, then we can move more into, okay, what it is that we can start filling their meals with. That's going to give them optimal yeah. Um, the other side of that as well is just being mindful that clients who have dieted for long periods of time, their hunger and fullness cues are going to be completely mm. skewed. They're not going to be hungry to eat. And this is probably the only time that I will tell a client where I need you to eat when you're not hungry. Yeah. Um, build this regular pattern of eating, right? Because binge eating, when we have a look at it in nature, is chaotic and what yeah. we can do with the chaos of binge eating is bring back structure just bring mm -hmm. a little bit of structure um into that and then we can have a look a little bit further down the track of the, their quality of meals um yeah. and instead of testing you know let's bring in a little bit of the forbidden foods you know whether that's sugar or whatever that is let's just have a little piece of this yeah. um, so that's a really simple place to start yeah, with a client just to get them to eating more regularly. And then the other side to that is a lot of the food rules will come from a lot of limiting beliefs and conditioning. So mm -hmm. that's where we can move a little bit more into the belief work of, okay, what is it that you truly believe? Oh, carbs make me fat. Okay, how do we start transitioning that belief yeah into I can eat a wide variety of foods and still be healthy or something like that. Um, and then it's working with a client to transition from that belief into something that's going to benefit them from a health perspective and yeah. a mental health perspective as well. Um, so they're the two things that I'll usually work on with a client um, who has really restrictive eating patterns. I love that. I think both of those are such sort of accessible places to start, especially the just focusing on the eating interval side of things because, yeah, I think that's such an easy way of making sure that they are eating a little bit more. And you're so right that a lot of the restriction comes in the, I love that analogy of the sort of what they're eating, how how much they're eating and the when they're eating as well because obviously the restriction can come into those like different eating windows and if they're skipping meals and if they you know believe oh I can't have foods after a certain time like all of that kind of stuff yeah. as well <laughs> yeah exactly so yeah. and also too if we're working with females we know that those sort of more regular eating windows are going to be optim more optimal for their health anyway even if it's like not about that necessarily at this sort of stage and then you know, that's, I suppose, more the the physical side of working with them in, in this process. And then the curiosity and the asking questions and the breaking down beliefs is the more sort of mental and emotional side of the work as well. Mm -hmm. um, so I love that. And I'm sure a lot of that can also then be brought over into the other two categories as well in terms of the trying to manipulate body size and, and shape and all of that kind of stuff and then the emotional side of things as well. Um, so if a client were to come to you and whether they explicitly say, you know, oh, I'm binge eating because, or restricting or chronically dieting because I'm trying to like lose weight or change my size, or I want to lose, you know, fat here on my stomach and blah, blah, blah. Um, often that then comes with those restrictive patterns anyway, but um, what would you, would you do anything differently in that situation versus the, you know, the, the eating at different intervals? Yeah. So we would keep that going. So yeah. um, I think, um, and like, this is coming from the research as well, right? If we were to solely mm. just focus on the things that I said and not really do anything about the body image piece, eventually yeah. the client will go back to the restrictive eating patterns because they do strongly mm. go hand in hand with each other. So if we're working with a client around the restrictive patterns, we need to get to the reason why. And often that's because there's an over-evaluation of their weight body and shape. Image. 
Um, so what's really important here, like it really stems from a self-worth piece. So there's mm. two things that need to happen. We need to have a look at increasing their self-worth and we need to have a look at decreasing how much emphasis they place on how they look. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And there's about 75, if a client who is in that space about 75% of their thoughts and energy is spent on how they look. And that Mm. doesn't give them enough space to do things that they enjoy and really enjoy life. So to be able to boost self-worth and self-esteem, it's really great to talk to our clients about doing things that they enjoy right you know okay I want you to write me out a list of all of the things that you enjoy doing we're going to pick one thing your favorite thing off that list I want you to go whatever that is I want you to go and do that x amount of times in the next couple of weeks and we'll come back and we'll evaluate and you know sometimes for a client that's doing something with her boys you know something active with her children where I'm connecting with my family, I'm being active, and this feels really good. (laughs) Yeah. Um, You know, so it's really finding, and it's something that is so simple, but unless Mm. we're having these conversations with our clients, it can be easily missed, and our clients can be in, you know, a little bit of isolation, I guess, because they do um, emphasize, or they spend a lot of time emphasizing on how it is that they look. Um, Yeah. Really, you know, let's do some activities that you find joy in. Let's do activities that you feel really good. Um, and usually that will come with connecting with people as well, whether it's friends, mm. family, children, that sort of yeah. stuff. Um, and then the other piece is reducing the amount of time that they um that they, I guess, thinking of how they physically look. And something that's really good there is diving into the functionality of the body. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did this with a client recently. And it's really like, it's really eye-opening because what you're going to get them to do is choose, I guess, yeah, you're writing down what it is that you're grateful for, right? So what mm-hmm. they deem as the most important things about their body. So it might be, you know, I'm grateful that I've got legs. I'm grateful that I can breathe. I'm grateful for whatever it might be. And then whatever one that they view as the most important to them, I get them to contemplate or write about what would it be if you didn't have that? So if mm-hmm. they're legs, for example, the fact that they can walk in nature was really important to them okay what if we took your legs away from you how would that make you feel and it can be quite confronting because it's like ah okay and it's almost like another level of appreciation so we sort of dive into Mm. functionality of the body so again it's taking the emphasis away from how it is that they actually look so we're working with both we're looking at increasing their self-worth and self-esteem and we're looking at decreasing the amount of time that they spend thinking about how they look. I love that. I love both of those um, approaches and how they do, you know, very much work hand in hand with one another. I think Mm -hmm. the, the piece about, you know, encouraging your client or working with them to write a list of things that bring them joy Mm-hmm. It's such a good one. This is something that I actually did with my client as well. And it was, to be fair, it was, we did it before she came to me, you know, about her disordered habits. It was more sort of a stress management tool for her. Yeah. Um, and then we did it again when she did, you know, open up to me. But yeah, creating a list of one, you know, things that bring you joy, things that make you feel confident and also things that aren't, exercise or food related that do all of those things or things that are stress relievers or things that make you feel in touch with your body but aren't necessarily about your body per se so whether that's um whether that's yeah going for a walk with a partner or with a dog in the morning and like that makes you feel good sure that's active but um whether that's getting a massage makes your body feel good but isn't about you know the size and the shape of your body things yeah. like doing um a float tank or a sauna or something like that are still self-care for your body but aren't about changing or manipulating the way that the body looks or behaves necessarily 
Yeah, a hundred percent. Um, and they're all little conversations. Like that's all they are. Yeah. They're, they're helping guide our clients. You know, you know, what do you find joy in? What do you like yeah. doing? Is there a way that we can incorporate more of that? Um, and I, you know, I did mention earlier that the clientele that I typically do work with, they're busy women. So often yeah. they move through life without really contemplating those things. So it mm. is good to use sessions. Obviously, if you're a face-to-face coach or an online coach, whether it's having it in your check-in form or whatever, it's really good to be able to get that feedback and have those conversations. Um, yeah. Clients. And I think too, regardless of if the specific client that you are working with has, you know, those disordered patterns, it's great for everyone to contemplate in a check-in form. Like what was one thing today? Like what was one thing this week that brought you joy out that isn't exercise or food? Um, I think it's just great. I mean, I did this with my boyfriend the other week, just like writing a list of, okay, what are things that do like bring you joy and how can you incorporate more of that into your life? Because that's, you know, it's still healthy habits. It's still something that's in like the remit of being a coach and encouraging healthy behaviors. For sure. Yeah. And the other thing that I do want to say on that as well, often a lot of our body image stems from comparison and, you know, Mm. social media can play a really big role on that. And if there are any particular accounts that you find is behaviors, just mute them. It doesn't have to be forever. It just might be early. So it's also considering about what we're feeding our minds with as well. That might be triggering those thoughts. Um, That's such a good point. Yeah, they're just trying to remove um, those triggers um, as much as possible until you can get to a place to be able to look at those accounts again if they bring you other value. Um, Mm. That's also cool. Um, Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. And I think that's both social media and also in-person relationships as well because as we spoke about earlier, so many people project their own insecurities and their own body image um, concerns and disordered habits onto other people. And I think that then obvious, like there's no way that that's not going to have an impact on people, regardless of how well your own self-esteem is, if other people are constantly talking about food. And even like, I know I've talked about this on the podcast before, but within the fitness industry in general, there is so much, you know, talk and and rhetoric around body manipulation if you're like competing or working as coaches we all have our own different issues with body image in terms of how we're supposed to look as a coach etc etc and so like removing those kind of relationships or navigating those relationships like can can you have some time away from you know your sister-in-law that is constantly chronic dieting like can you have some time away from your um, you know, from the gym where everyone is like a bodybuilder competitor, can you, as you said, like yeah. mute some influences who are, you know, doing Ozempic? <laughs> like, yeah. can you stop watching the Kardashians for like a month? Like yeah. whatever it is and having those kind of discussions as well, as you said, it's all about that open communication of, well, what do you think your triggers are? Like what kind of content are you consuming? What are your relationships like at the moment? What are their relationships with food? Like all of that kind of stuff is super important. Yeah. And I also like the other point that I want to touch on with body image as well is it's important that as coaches, we talk to our clients about body neutrality rather Mm. than body love, especially with the clients that are in a phase of hating themselves. And I know it's a word, but it's real situation for many clients where they're in a space where they really hate themselves. And if we're like, no, you just got to love yourself, love yourself. That is a really big road yeah. for them to navigate that for many, they won't even try because they don't believe yeah. that it's possible. But I think if we can, you know, meet our clients where they're at and bring them towards a space of body neutrality where they just yeah. feel indifferent and letting them know that it's okay if you wake up one morning and you don't like yourself, that that's also okay. We're not going yeah. to be in place where we're going to like ourselves or feel neutral about our body Mm. every day 
Um, so Definitely. I think yeah, talking to them about the body neutrality piece rather than self-love. Um, I think mm-hmm. we get a lot of buy-in from our clients and they're a little bit more willing to be like, oh, okay, I'm here. I actually think that I can get to a space where I feel okay with how I look. Yeah. And I think you touched on that earlier as well in terms of, you know, when you initially start working to, with a client and if there's so much sort of dialogue and rhetoric around being like, love your body, like all of this kind of stuff, and they don't necessarily and they do have a goal of weight loss or they do have a goal of body manipulation and they're not comfortable saying so, that's when a lot of these sort of like hidden secret you know, guilt behaviors can come into place because they don't feel comfortable saying, oh, I want to lose weight. And so then you can't have a conversation with them about how, how they can do that in a healthy way. So then they, you know, do what they heard, which is Ozempic or 1200 calories or, or whatever it is, or over-exercising. And so ha- creating a space that is safe for clients to come to you, mm. even if they're not disordered, but like um, just, yeah, they feel comfortable enough to say, I am like comfortable in my body, but that doesn't mean there aren't certain areas that I wouldn't like to change a little bit which I think is fine to accept yourself where you're at and also want to you know grow in certain areas and change throughout different phases of your life yeah like we can feel completely neutral we can even you know genuinely love ourselves and still want to make changes and there's much power with being in that space and making change because your actions are going to be so different to if you're in a place of hate Um, Yeah, you know, and that's what I talk to about with clients as well. It's like, yeah, we need to do this piece where we need to really work on your food and improve your relationship to food. And once we do that, we can then move into dieting. It's not, you know, it's not that you can never diet or it's not that you're going to lose control and gain all of this weight, this piece that we need to work on first. And yeah. then that will give us the foundations if you want to lose five kilos, if, you know, you want to grow your butt, I don't know, whatever, whatever yeah. Yeah. Goal is, we can then do that. But if we ignore this piece and continue to try and do this and, you know, use a diet as a bandage to what's really going yeah. on, the, like the wound, it's always going to be there. It's always going to be cycling, yeah. it's going to be in this constant battle. Um, yeah, no, a hundred percent. Um, I suppose to to finish, one of the other things I wanted to touch on, and you brought it up earlier, is working in conjunction with other health professionals in this area, because obviously, as personal trainers, depending and coaches, depending on the type of training that you have. it's not always within our scope to be working, you know, in certain amounts of detail. So I think conversations like these and resources like these are super helpful, but, you know, in comparison to a psychologist who has, you know, an abundance of training and abundance of qualifications, that's obviously something that we want to be recommending. How do we, I suppose, as and also like dietitians and and stuff like that that do have you know qualifications and training in eating disorders how do you or how should we work in conjunction with those other health professionals and how do we sort of have that circular dialogue i suppose with the people that we're referring to yeah like for me it's no different than working with chiropractors or physios if mm. clients have any sort of I guess specific or specific physical issues um it's mm-hmm. no different I think it's important to you know have um the support network for our client because mm. we're not one tiny piece of that support network for our clients. So it's important that we have relationships with psychologists um, like we might have with physios um, and other practitioners. Um, And as I said, yeah, if a client comes to me and says, Joe, I really think I've got like binge eating disorder. My first question is, do you, have you reached out to a psychologist? If I don't know the answer, but have you reached out to a psychologist or do you know how to get in contact with one that's always my first question mm-hmm. um because yeah. as a coach um like I have done a lot of trainings yeah yeah stuff like that but still I'm like okay let's see what we can do here and if they're open to it they might seek out their own they might have a recommendation um or I can help them with 
with that and then yeah. that up. and then it's just communicating with that psychologist around that particular client and yeah like it's a lot of that work is private 100 percent, but it's yeah okay what can I do to support what it is that you're doing um yeah because often, you know, and we haven't touched on it in this conversation, it's a really deep topic, but, you know, often there can be a lot of trauma there and a lot of unresolved yeah. for the client. And that can be the reason why they're turning to food um, as that distraction and coping strategy. And we, I certainly do anyway, want to make sure that that client is in the safest hands possible to yeah resolve and work through that trauma and in that scenario I'm just a support because chances are I'm seeing that client a lot more than the psychologist right so I like to know what's going on so that I can fully support that client um and I think that's really important it's just like having like working with psychologists um just like we work with chiropractors and physios and stuff with our clients Um, because it's really important that because something that can easily happen and it's something that I've done in my own training is um, you can easily as a coach without knowing him of course we wouldn't do it intentionally but we can re-traumatize our clients yeah we'll project yeah yeah 100 so it's really important that we know how not to do that um which is really important as well so yeah that's yeah that's what I do that yeah I love that and I love the comparison between you know working with a psychologist to working with physios because we often do refer out um to physios or chiros and stuff and there's like no drama there I suppose with um psychologists so say a client has come to you come to you um, and they've told you that they've found a psychologist or they've been, once they've been recommended one by a GP or they've done their mental health plan, et cetera. Um, are you writing a letter to the psychologist? Are you asking your client to sort of relay the information that they've had in their therapy session to you? How does that process, I suppose, look? Yeah, so I'll typically ask the client to have a chat to their psychologist and let them know that they're working with a personal trainer who's interested mm-hmm. in knowing what's happening Um any things that they're specifically working on. And if the psychologist was open to a conversation, um, I can write a letter. Um, So I've done both or then the client will relay. I'll often ask the client, all right, tell me, like they'll tell me this and I'll have seen my psychologist this week. I was like, great. What are you you guys working on? What are you doing? What support do you need from me? Um, Can I help? You know, so it's just really... Yeah, I don't know. I just see it as being like this support person for them when they decide to um, work with a psychologist. Because as I said, chances are they're going to see us a lot more. And we are the front line of this person with this, um, with their food issues. Yeah, no, definitely. I think that's, I think that's great. And I think that's really sort of practical advice. I think this whole conversation has been super practical in terms of not only understanding where our clients you know might like what the roots of our clients concerns might be but also how we as coaches can actually apply tactical support for our clients whether that is you know recommending food like regular food intervals whether that is asking particular questions whether that is referring out and I think as coaches as well it's important for us to even understand the support that is available in terms of, you know, mental health plans with GPs so that we can then give that information to clients. I think it is important for us to know that ourselves. Um, And also, as you say, just like we do with physios and chiros and other health practitioners have a, I suppose, collection of people that you trust and would recommend whether that is dietitians, whether that is psychologists, whether that's physios, chiros, all of these different people that you can recommend when people do come to you and understanding what our limits as a coach is. Because I think it's all well and good to think, okay, cool. Like I've dealt with this myself or, you know, like I've had a friend who's had an eating disorder and all of that kind of stuff. But if you don't have the, the, training or the understanding it we can be doing our clients a disservice thinking that you know we can help them on our own um and so referring out is super important yeah incredibly important 
Um, and that's the thing. Every single journey of improving a relationship to food is completely different for everyone. Yeah. There is no step-by-step process um, that will work for everyone. Um, it's very unique to the individual because, it, well, their trauma is unique. Their pain mm. is unique um, or their reasons for doing it um, is unique. Um, yeah. So, yeah, for sure. It's really important to seek that help and refer out. Um, but it like... Yeah, it's it's just important that we we just don't ignore it because yeah. it's in front of us. Like if we see signs, we have to be able to navigate that conversation with our clients. Exactly. Um, if we're like super not comfortable with it, refer out straight away. Yeah. And I think to finish off, um, which I know I said like 10 minutes ago that I was <laughs> I was wrapping up. <laughs> But I think like this conversation can be super heavy and working with clients who are dealing with these kind of things can be super heavy. Um, and, you know, whether or not you've had a, a history with similar behaviors yourself, which I think a lot of coaches have, because I think it's really hard to be in this industry and not be affected by it in some way. How do you or how would you encourage other coaches look after themselves and their own mental health when they are dealing with clients that, you know, may emotionally impact them? Yeah, I think the nervous system definitely Mm -hmm. comes into play and it's noticing um, whether you're, when you're having, cause this is like, I've experienced all of these things that, yeah. it, you know, and years ago, if clients are having this conversation, I would notice this level of anxiety build up mm-hmm. like sort of moving into that state of hyper arousal. So I definitely think the first step is been able to stay in a grounded energy. Um, mm-hmm. that's, you know, cause if we're sort of triggered with our triggered, our clients can feed yeah. off energy and it can create an unsafe space right so it's really all about creating the safe space um mm-hmm. so being able to navigate the conversation in a grounded energy mm-hmm. um and yeah like for us ourselves like I've had some heavy conversations with clients and you know if we need help ourselves with our own counselors our own psychologists yeah um you know because a lot of what our clients tell us is private right I'm not going to go home and exactly the people sitting at home right it's yeah because it's part of that safe space um so if we need help from professionals as well it's really important that we do that um and just do that constant work on our own nervous system so that we can Mm. navigate conversations because I've done it where I've taken on everything that the client has said and I've taken it yeah yeah I've often left sessions like many years ago, like in tears, like I've taken on their struggles and yeah, it's, it's important to be able to create that safe space, that grounded energy um, and move from that place. Yeah. I think that's so, so important because I know as coaches more often than not, we've come into this space to, you know, help people and we care really deeply about our, you know, clients and about the impact that we're having on them and and all of this kind of stuff. And especially if you're a super empathetic person, it's so easy to take on, whether it's food related or not, but take on other people's energy and other people's problems. And I think it does come with experience learning to sort of like compartmentalize and also just like leave work at work. But when it is conversations that are super heavy, like these ones around food and body image and, you know, whether or not you've had similar experiences yourself. So there are triggers there. It is, yeah, super important to find strategies and find coping mechanisms that allow you to, I suppose, leave that behind when you do leave the gym floor or, um, yeah, just not take it home with you. And whether that is, as you say, like having counseling yourself or seeing a psychologist yourself, which I think I'm such a psychology advocate. Um, I love my psychologist. Um, But whether that's also just like, I don't know, having some kind of ritual of just like oozing out other people's energy because it is super draining otherwise. Um, So whatever that looks like for you, whether that is like going for a walk after you do a whole bunch of PT sessions or whether that's just like 
locking yourself in a room for a bit and not talking to anyone else when you get home from work. Like I know that was the case with me a few years ago after doing a whole big chunk of my morning sessions and then um, doing my like PT sessions in the afternoon, I was like, I have nothing left to give to like the friends and family in my life. Cause I actually can't take on it <laughs> or like, I have no social battery left. So like, what can I do to sort of reset that social battery and that emotional battery, especially if, you know, you're working with clients that are dealing with things like this, cause it's not going to be a, just a one-off session. That's going to be heavy. It's going to be like every week you're going to be having kind of conversations like that. So you need some sort of coping strategy or, or coping mechanism to make sure that you're looking after yourself as well. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. I couldn't agree more. Amazing. Is there anything else that we haven't touched on? I mean, there's obviously so much to this topic and I think we could honestly have you on again to, to go into those issues of trauma and wh- why people might be experiencing the things that they are. We, honestly we probably will um, but is there anything else that you wanted to touch on just to wrap up this conversation today um I don't know like I mean I think we've definitely covered everything but yeah like I mean if you are a coach and you see the signs um just open up the conversation with your client um because yeah they're going to need the help they're going to need the support um and that's the best thing that we can do for sure. Amazing. Yeah. And where can other coaches in our community, because I know you post a lot about this for your own clients on your page, how can we find you to sort of keep up to date with this kind of information? Sure. So on Instagram, it's just Joe. So it's J-O dot Reynolds dot coaching. Yeah, I had to think about that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Reynolds dot coaching. And yeah, I mostly hang out there. I do run face-to-face PT sessions at Queen of Lean as well, which is in North Melbourne. Mm-hmm. Amazing. And I'll have your Instagram and obviously all of those other details linked below. But thank you so much for coming on to the AWPT podcast today. I've loved this conversation. I think there's so much value there, both for coaches, both for, you know, clients as well. I think, yeah, there's so much, so many golden nuggets in this conversation. And I've absolutely loved talking to you today. Yeah, it was amazing. Thank you so much. And yeah, I always say anywhere that I can talk about this, I'm there. Yeah. <laughs> really appreciate it. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the AWPT podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to share it with your friends and fellow coaches and subscribe for weekly episodes and content.